So last week, just quickly to recap, last week what I, I told you that I wanted to teach you to do something that you already thought you knew how to do, and that was to be generous. And the reason that we think we know how to be generous is because we know how to give. As Americans, and as Americans, we're actually quite good at giving. I mean, anytime there is a natural disaster, I mean, the American Red Cross is overwhelmed with funds to respond to this disaster. Anytime there's a great need, we dig deep and we respond. In fact, I was a little even nervous talking to our church about giving because, or about generosity because you give so well. Last year, I was just thinking about this and preparing. Last year, our congregation, we're not a big church. We raised $25,000 in our Advent offering to give um, to neighborhood organizations. That's incredible. But what I want to do is I want to push us and say that giving is different than being generous. This is, about, this is a be versus do. Because what I want us to do, because I think it's transformative to your finances, is to organize your life around generosity. To organize your life around generosity. So this is how we define generosity. It's clunky. I stole this from somebody else, but here it is again. Um, generous is, being generous is a premeditated, that means you have a plan, and we're going to get more into the weeds next week, um, that you, means you have a plan. It's a premeditated, calculated, that means you know the amount. So you have a plan, you know the amount. Designated, that means you know where it's going. Emancipation, I like that word, um, where you set it free. You'll set your finances free. Emancipation of your personal financial assets. And I said last week that this is a series specifically about money. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be generous with our time, with other resources, but I want to specifically talk about money because I'm going to end today with a parable um, where Jesus is like, no, no, I mean money. And so I want to specifically focus on money. Okay, now here's the thing. A persuasive person can get up here, show you a few pictures, tell you a few stories. In fact, this week I was in Florida and I heard this guy speak. I'd heard him speak before, and um, he told this really powerful story. And I mean, anytime I hear a story like this, I'm just ready to take out my checkbook and sign over my life, right? Because you have someone up front, they've got a microphone, they pitch their voice the right way, they tell a compelling story, they show you a few photos, and you're like, yes, I want to give. Or, so, so you use, maybe it's inspiration that to get us to give, or we can use guilt. The other thing that churches do, and we don't do this, but the other thing that churches do is they essentially bribe you to give, right? They tell you that if you give $1, God will give you $10 in response. Now, the reason that we don't do that, besides the fact I'm not sure that's biblical, the other reason that we don't do that is because, let's just be honest, you already have your 10, right? You're an American. For the most part, most people in this room, not everyone, but most people in this room, you already have your 10, right? It would be ridiculous to try to bribe you telling you if you gave God $1, you'd get 10 because you already have so much. And so what I promised us is this, is that when we become generous, when we become generous, not randomly giving, not that there's anything wrong with that, but when we become generous, when you organize your finances around an open-handed generosity, you will give more, you will save more, and you will consume less. You will give more, you will save more, and you will consume less. Now, I gave one uh, caveat last week is that there are a few of you in this room who you are hoarders and you have more money than everyone else in this room put together. You will probably not save more money, right? You've already got that down. You will probably just give more, maybe consume a little less. But, but the other thing I promised us last week, and it's actually a promise from Jesus, is that if we learn to be generous, if we learn to be generous, we will be happier. 
Now that always makes it a little, little nervous. I don't really like to talk about the gospels in context or like follow Jesus and you'll be happier. But Jesus says it, right? It's the same word that we find in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, there's all the blesseds in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed, blessed, blessed. And when, the word for blessed, let there be light and there was light. Um, the word for blessed literally means happy or the good life. And Jesus says, look, if you learn to be generous, he uses, uh, there's this really famous um, phrase that we forget in scripture. It says, blessed, more blessed, it's more blessed to give than to receive, which we know is not true because it definitely is more blessed to receive. Um, but, but the thing is, what Jesus is talking about is not like this one-off, like it's more blessed to give a gift or receive a gift. What Jesus is saying is more blessed. It's happy are those who organize their lives around being generous people, not just simply a one-off gift. Happy are those who learn to be generous. Okay, I want to I dig down. Uh, I want to help us. To, next week, we're going to get very practical. But this week, before we get to the parable of Jesus, I want to help us think about money slightly differently. So first, the word that we most associate with money, at least if you're like me, maybe this is just me. I told the morning service, the sermon could be completely to me, um, but you have to listen. So, or even you could leave, I guess, but hopefully you won't. Um, there's coffee downstairs if you do leave. Uh, the word we most associate with money is worry, right? Will I have enough? Will I have enough to buy a house? Will I ever be able to get rid of the stupid student loan debt that seems to never go away? Will I have enough to travel someday? Will I ever be able to save money? Will I ever be able to get ahead and stop living paycheck to paycheck? Will I ever be able to get out of debt? Will I, will I, will I? And related to all these will I's is also a sense of worry. And the thing that I've realized over and over is that no matter how much money you make, no matter how much money you make, unless you learn to be generous, you will, you will still worry and you will spend everything you earn. I, I see this all the time. If someone gets a raise and they're like, oh, now I'm going to save or now I'm going to be generous. And then a year later, right, when, and, that, like, and when it first happens, they really like, they're like, they do have extra money. And then a year later, they're like, where did that entire raise go? There's something about our lives that make it easy for us to keep, to spend everything that comes in. And the reason that so many of us feel financially strapped, and honestly, the reason that many of us feel poor is because of a word called margin. I talked about this actually a couple years ago because this when I learned this concept in my own life, it like light bulbs went off. Because the reason that I feel like, I, the reason I worry about my finances is all the time because I don't have any margin in my life. They did a research study, and I don't know the exact number, but something like 50% of the Americans couldn't come up with $400 um, if they had an emergency. And so because you don't have any margin, you feel financial worry because if anything goes wrong, if you lose your job, if your car breaks down, if the bicycle gets stolen, what, whatever that thing is, right, there's, if there's no margin in your life, you're going to feel financial worry because you're always afraid, I am one mistake away from having nothing. And what I, before I did get into the sermon anymore, I want to acknowledge some realities in this room. Like some of you are without a job, some of you aren't sure where you're going to stay this week or next week. Some of you um, aren't sure about your next meal. Some of you, a lot of you, are overwhelmed by student debt. Right? I talk to, I, I hear some of your stories. I mean, the amount of student debt loan in this room, if we were to add it all up, we could buy this building. I mean, maybe not quite, but I mean, like, it's, it's insane. Some of you are saving for a house. Some of you are staff assistants on the Hill, and you make $28,000 a year. And that's really hard to do in this city. I get that. And, and so as I'm talking this evening, for some of you, the real, you're going you're gonna to begin to zone out because you're going to think, well, you know, I will think about that someday when I have money. The problem is 
The problem is it actually is harder the more money you have. And if you learn to be generous when you have nothing, it is way easier to be generous later on in life when you have something. I see this over and over again, that people who, when they were young, when they were in their teens and their 20s, built generosity into their lives, that, that, that generosity continues as they, as, they, as they grow older. And often those people are some of the most financially well-off people that I know. And I don't think it's like this whole thing, like, um, you know, you give God a dollar, like I said, and you get 10 back. But I think when you learn to be generous, when you learn to manage your money well, when you have margin in your life, um, you, you, it just, you end up doing better financially in the long term. Okay, so with that, with that like out there, um, I, wanna, I wanna give us some questions to think about. I want some questions to wrestle with because I think the underlying mindset for many Americans is this, if it comes to me, it's for me, I've gotta figure out how to take care of me. So if financial resources come my way, right, I worked hard, I spent all this money in this college degree, right? that's why I have the student loan debt. If money comes to me, I have earned this money, it is mine. If it comes to me, it's for me, I've gotta figure out how to take care of me. So I wanna ask us a few questions with that kind of the baseline assumption. Um, I wanna ask us a few questions, don't answer out loud, you don't need to raise your hand, um, no elbows. Uh, so here are the questions. How much more money would it take to break you out of the habit of spending everything you make. How much more money would it take? Because that's the problem for so many of us, is that we, we're, many of us in DC, we're, I don't think as, uh, I, the rest of the country, at least data shows, is spending about 110% of what they earn. I think DC, maybe we manage our money slightly better than that, but also we're often spending everything that comes in. So how much more money, how much more money would you need to earn? 20, 10%, 20%, 30%? Because for most of us, hopefully, over the next few years, 10, 20 years, you're gonna earn way more money than you're earning now. See, the thing is, as your income increases, you know this, you'll just spend more. It turns out that there's something beyond two buck chuck at Trader Joe's, right? Which is, when I moved here, I'm, this is not a joke, when I moved here, I thought two buck chuck was the greatest thing ever. $2.99 for a bottle of Malbec. I took it to all my parties until someone pulled me aside and said, Kevin, it's really not acceptable. Um, so then I discovered, I discovered Kirkland's brand wine. And I mean, right, so I, I, I went from $2.99 to $9.99. I mean, that's what, a 300% increase or something like that. I don't know math. Um, there's always, we find new ways, when we earn more money, we find new ways, our tastes grow. Right? The clothes and the stores that where I used to shop that were great, now they just aren't quite good enough. I, I, I realized I was oversharing this morning, but I'll just keep doing it. Um, like when I look back at pictures of myself from 10, 15 years ago, and I had like these shirts that were way too baggy because I didn't know, I just went and bought from whatever was on the rack as a large or an extra large and just got it. And then I realized there's like companies that make shirts that are more tailored for you. And sure, they maybe cost like $40 more, but they look so much better on. At least that's what Charla told me. And, and the thing is, like you just keep finding new ways, ways you didn't even, the more money I had, the more ways I discovered I didn't even know that I could spend money. New opportunities opened up for me and then that money just evaporates. How much more money would it take for you to stop spending everything you bring in? And the, the answer is, look, this isn't a money problem, it's a self-control problem. It's not a money problem, it's a self-control problem. Second question is this, how much more money would it take to make you happy? How much more money would it take you to make you happy? There's actually some research studies on this. There's a, there's a baseline, right? Up until this point, 
money does actually bring you a bit more happiness. But then there's a point, it's actually a fairly level point, I mean fairly low point, that once you hit this, no matter how much more money you bring, there will be almost no appreciable increase in happiness. But how much more money do you think it would take to make you feel happy or to end your worry, to make you feel more secure? Would it be 10%, 20%, maybe it's 25%? Would that be enough? And like I said, I know this from experience, that as your income goes up, you'll spend more, and, and you'll find new ways, realize that there are new things that you just need to have. I mean, this happens all the time. And, and this isn't a money problem. It's a contentment problem. It's a contentment problem. Now, you should write this down, because I didn't think it up. But contentment is like an appetite. When you feed it, it grows. But discontentment is the same way. When you, when you foster the habit of contentment in your life, learning to be content with what God has placed in your hands, when you foster that and continue to, to practice contentment, contentment grows. But when you are discontent, when you always think that there's something better, you will, discontentment grows. I, I actually read it. This is out of the financial realm, but I read an article. There's apparently an app on your phone called Tender that people use. And... Um, you swipe right or swipe left, um, uh, depending on if you find the person attractive, I think, that's how it works. Um, and um, they said relationships, it's harder for people to have more secure dating relationships or have healthy dating relationships because they said because the advent of Tinder and things like that, you always think there might be somebody better, right? So you're in the midst of a relationship and things aren't going that well. And in your pocket, there are a thousand options, and someone there might be better. So what do you do? You go home and you begin to swipe some more, thinking maybe you'll find that person that's better. Right? The same thing with your job. The more, uh, the more proficient you become in your job, as you kind of raise through the ranks, the more opportunities you have, the more <laughs> opportunities you have, the more dissatisfied you often become with your job, because you think, oh wow, maybe there's a better job around the corner. We do this all the time. The more, as we grow, as we have more financial resources, as we have more job opportunities, as we have more dating opportunities, we become more and more discontent, because there might be something better. So with more options comes more con contentment. I mean, di more discontentment, okay? Okay, next question. How much more money would it take you to get in the habit of living within your means and creating financial margin. Right? How much more? Would it be 10%, 20%, 30%? Now, of course, you know this, right? We feel, we, no matter what we earn, we end up spending it. We end up, fill, unless, we, 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 unless we have discipline, right? This isn't a financial problem. This isn't a money problem. You don't lack money. You lack discipline. Okay, next question. Now, this one's just for Christians. Um, if you are here, we have lots of people attend the table that are checking out church, checking out Jesus. You can kind of tune out or you can play along in this question. We always invite people, but this is just for followers of Jesus. How much more money would it take for you to erase your financial worries? 10%, 20%, 30%, 50%, 100%? Because the thing is, I know, people, I know people who make more money than I will ever imagine having, and they still have financial worries. Because worry is not a money problem. Worry is a spiritual problem. Jesus said about worry, he did not say to have worry, you just need to have more money in the bank or you need to save more or to get out of debt or to earn more. Jesus says, no, the reason you worry is because you have put your trust in riches and not in the one who richly provides. We actually did a sermon series around this verse one, or a sermon around this verse once, but 1 Timothy 6, command those who are rich in this present age in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, 
but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And the problem is, is that so many of us have put our hope or our, our, our foundation in our finances or our career or another person, right? There's all these things that we put our hope in and those things are always shifting instead of putting our hope in the one who richly provides. Okay, let me summarize. More money does not generate more self-control because you know some of the wealthiest people you know are the most out of control people. More money does not result in more discipline and more money does not create contentment. And like I said earlier, if you are young and just starting out, if you learn to, to manage your money well now and you learn to be generous now, you will have so much more money later in life and you'll be so much happier and you will have so much more margin, I promise you. But back to generosity. More money does not solve your issues of discipline or contentment or worry. Adding another zero to your, because what happens if when you make more money is you simply add another zero. You will not become generous by accident. You will not save by accident. You will not become content by accident. All of those things have to be fostered. And generous people, generous people have ordered their financial lives around, they have not ordered their financial lives around the consumption assumption, which I realize is really hard to say, the consumption assumption. What is the consumption assumption? I'm glad you asked. If it comes to me, it's for me. If it comes to me, it's for me. And, 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 and this doesn't mean you don't give away money, right? Someone tugs at your heartstrings and you give away some money. But the assumption is that everything that comes to you is for you, and then maybe out of your excess, you'll toss a few coins. But it's never enough, often not enough, to in any way change your habits in your life, right? We give out of the excess, but nothing that'll actually impact the way that we live. And this is, only for this is only for Christians, and if you're not a Christian, you can just play along. But if you're a Christian and you believe the lie that if it comes to you, it's for you, then Jesus has a word for this. He calls it greed. Jesus calls it greed. And the problem with greed is we never see greedy people in the mirror. Greedy people is always the fat cat in Wall Street who like washes in money, right? You imagine them like taking a bath in money or something. Think Wolf of Wall Street, right? But greedy is the person who has a small amount of money or a medium amount of money or a large amount of money and assumes it all belongs to them and it's all for them. Jesus calls this greed. And greed always leads to worry. Greed always leads to discontentment, no matter how many zeros you tack on. And most financial worry, most financial tension, most financial grief is the result of wanting what we can't get, not needing what we don't have. Let me say that again. Most of our angst around finances is a result of wanting what we can't get, not needing what we don't have. Let me tell you a personal story. So Charlotte, my wife, and I, we moved to D.C. 11 years ago. When we look back at how much we earned in these first jobs, it was absolutely ridiculous, but we moved from Kansas City, Missouri, where we paid $312 a month for a two-bedroom apartment. And... Um, when they offered me the job, I thought I was getting a steal. I thought, wow, they have no idea how much money they're offering me. I realized and later on that they lowballed me, and I found the budget. They could have paid me way more, but that's another story for another day. Um, so we moved to D.C., and we had this little apartment, and it was fine. But honestly, we're pretty discontent with it. But we used to walk around, take, we had a chihuahua, six-pound chihuahua, which is also another story. And um, we used to take the six-pound chihuahua on a walk around the neighborhood, and then we had to start carrying because he was lazy. So anyway, so 
So we're carrying the chihuahua around the neighborhood near us. And nearby where we lived, there were these townhomes. And they were these beautiful townhomes. And they were actually a pretty decent price. And so um, we, one of them was for sale one day. And so Charla and I looked at that townhome, like how much it cost. And then, and then we began calculating how much we would need to earn someday to be able to live in one of these townhomes. And I mean, I mean like, I remember, like, there was a couple years where we were like, constantly, how much more would we need to make to live in one of those townhomes? And then one day, you know, we were, we were blessed, things were going well, and we bought a townhome that was actually way nicer than the townhome that we'd hoped to have. It's great. It's a place we live now. It's a great place. But then one day we made the mistake of driving to Cleveland Park, right? We were driving around Cleveland Park. There's all these big, beautiful homes, and there are dads in the yard, and the puppies running around, and the dad's throwing the football with the kid, and the, car, the, the grass looks like it's carpet. I mean, it's so beautiful. And, and then, and then, with like in a split second, discontentment begins to set in. And I think, oh no, no, we'd be happy if we had that place. It's, it's a cycle that we find ourselves in. The moment we have that thing that we've been striving for, the moment we have that thing, something else catches our eye. And then we think, oh, no, 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 if I had that, then I would be content. Then I would be happy. It's a vicious cycle. And if you relate, there's nothing wrong with you. It just means you're human. But if you learn to be generous and organize your financial world around generosity, it will help to crush the consumption assumption, this idea that if it comes to me, it's for me. And to the next week, I want to get super practical and hopefully give us some, uh, some guidelines to help us to think through this. But today, I just want to help us to think differently because generous people think differently. Because generous people don't think in the terms of it's about my consumption. If it comes to me, it's for me. They're able to break through this idea. Generous people think differently. Generous people think about others. Okay, so who can help us think differently? Well, you're at church, Jesus. Um, so, so here's the story. Jesus was, um, he was walking with his disciples, he was with his followers, and he told a parable. Now, parables are fake stories that Jesus makes up to, to make a point. Um, and they're sometimes kind of rambling, and you leave at the end, you're kind of scratching your head, like, what in the world did Jesus mean by that? Which makes me feel better, because Charlotte tells me she feels that way after my sermons sometimes. Um, okay, so this made-up story, Jesus turns to his audience, but he's pretty clear in this one. So he turns to the audience, and he tells, he said, there was the, there, the grounds of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. 2,000 years ago, rich people got richer. Still works today. Still happens today. Okay, so this guy, he has an abundant harvest, a, crop, a bumper crop, and he says, what am I going to do? So he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. I have all this stuff. I'm going to buy a storage unit or get a storage unit. So then he said to himself, so then he said, this is what I'll do. This is what I'll do. If it comes to me, if it comes to me, it's for me, right? I'm going to figure out a way to store this up. And so he says, this is what I'll do. I'm going to tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones, and there I'll store my surplus grain. I'll save it now. I'll save it now so I can consume it later. I'll save it now so I can consume it later, because it's come to me. That means it's for me, right? And so he says to himself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many, many years. Like, things are good. It's come to you. It's for you, right? Take it easy, dude. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And you know what? Some of you, some of you are going to, if I told you right now how much money you're going to earn someday, you'd tell me I'm crazy. And you thought, if I ever earned that amount of money, if I ever had that much money in my bank account, I would be out of debt. 
I wouldn't have any worry, and I would give abundant amounts of money to everyone. But the thing is, if you talk to people who earn that amount of money, they'll tell you, no, I still worry. No, I'm still in debt. And no, I don't give much money to people. So what does God say to this, this man who believes that it's all for him? But God said to him in the parable, you fool, which is pretty harsh language, you fool. See, he believed that it was his consumable and disposable income. Do you ever, do you ever hear, hear anyone talk about consumable or disposable income? I had some friends who told me once, yeah, you know, we put about such a certain amount in savings, and then we give a certain amount to this, and the rest of it is consumable and disposable. But think about those words for a moment. Imagine, imagine, we've traveled the world. I mean, you've been to places I can only dream of going. You, you've seen poverty that, like, is just unbelievable. Imagine being in front of someone who doesn't know where their next meal is, coming from and taking a pile six months of your consumable and disposable income and just holding it in your hands and maybe then just lighting a match and just like watching it all burn. Just consumable, disposable income. I mean, when you think about those words, it's kind of the image that it, that it conjures in your head. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, this very night, your life will be demanded of you. This is brilliant what Jesus says next. He asked this question. Now, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Now, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is one of the most brilliant moments in Jesus' teachings because what he is doing in this moment is he is deconstructing the myth of ownership because if it's going to go to someone else, it was never yours in the first place. Who will get all this once you're gone? was never yours in the first place. And then Jesus steps out of the parable. He's done telling the parable, and he changes it to the future tense, and he looks the audience in the eye, and he says this, this is how it will be. This is how it will be. It will be all lost. It will be total loss. This is how it will be for those who store up things for themselves but are not rich towards God. Such a powerful line. And what does it mean to be rich towards God? If you want to be rich towards me as your pastor, be nice to Charla and be nice to Eloise and I will love you forever. It's a true story. You can be as mean to me as you want. I can handle it. But you treat Eloise and Charla well and you've done well by me. If you want to be rich towards God, you be rich towards those that capture the heart of God. You be rich towards God's children. Jesus says, I mean, Jesus says in this parable, you want to be rich towards God? It is not reading your Bible more. It is not praying more. Those are great things. It's not giving more of your time. That's a great thing. It's not coming to church on Sunday. You can be rich towards me that way, but that's not it, right? No. Jesus says, to be rich towards God, you give your stuff away. You give your stuff away. Generous people don't assume that it's theirs to consume. This is the fundamental difference. Jesus defies our notion of ownership. He tears it apart. Because if it can be taken away, you never really owned it anyway. If it can be taken away in a split second, you never really owned it anyway. If you've ever um, been to an estate sale, or maybe um, you've had a grandparent die, 
or a family member die and you've had to go in afterwards and clean up everything that they've amassed throughout their lives. It's a really sobering moment. And it's particularly sobering, I had a distant relative once who was um, very particular. And like they, were, they had all these nice things in their house, but they never wanted anyone to touch their nice things. Right? Don't sit on that couch, don't touch that, don't play with that. And then to go into their home and all those things that were so precious that you couldn't touch now are just piled in a floor, on the floor and people are rummaging through it and buying it and taking it away. Jesus' point is, look, it's all gonna, if it's all going to be taken away, why would you miss the opportunity to give it away? Why would you miss the opportunity to be rich towards God now? Generous people think like managers, not owners and consumers. They know that it's been, there, it's been entrusted to them for a short time. It has been entrusted to them to steward, but it is not theirs. So here's what I want this week. I don't want you to do anything. Don't go home and sell everything you have. Here's all I want you to do. Just this week, just imagine, like, every time you spend money, every time you think about finances, every time you go to write a check or swipe your card or tap Apple Pay or Venmo or whatever it is, right, just think about this. How does it, how does it, the way I spend my money, how does it change when I begin to think that, that I am just a manager, I am just a steward of these, these resources. That is not, just because it's come to me, it's not all for me. And I don't want you to do anything else. All I just want us to do is begin to, to think differently. We'll get practical next week, but just this week, just think differently. Every time you go to spend money, just think about that. How am I spending my resources? And do I believe the lie that if it comes to me, it's for me? Because we often hang so tightly onto our things, to the stuff worried that something might happen to it. What does it look like just to be open-handed? What does it look like to be open-handed? Because in doing this, in doing this, as you begin to think through this, when you learn to be open-handed, you you're able to realize that you are no longer controlled by your stuff. You're no longer controlled by worry and by money and all these things because you put your hope not in riches or in bank accounts or in any of the other things, but you put your hope in the God who provides. See, I believe that you were created to be more than a consumer. You were created to be more than a consumer, but the only way that you're able to move beyond the lie of our culture, that if it comes to you, it's for you, the only way that you're able to move beyond the, the lie of consumption is to order your life around generosity. It's the only way. And I think if you learn to do this, that you will be abundantly blessed. I think you'll even be way, like, you'll be better off financially if you learn to be generous. Now, you can keep living by the consumption assumption, but if you do, you will always worry. I guarantee you, you will always worry, and you will always be discontent. But there is another way, and it may seem weird to everyone else that you know, to a group of people who are in this cycle of consume, 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 earn more, consume more, earn more, consume more. There is another way. And Jesus says the other way is to live open-handed, to live for others, to be rich towards God. Now, you don't want to miss next week. We're going to get more practical next week. But this week, as you go through your week, just continue to remind yourself that this is not mine. I am not an owner, but I am simply a manager. I am simply a steward. And these resources have been entrusted to me. Let's pray. 
God, I thank you for this parable that, that Jesus told 2,000 years ago, but still stings even today. And I pray that throughout this next week that you just begin to open our eyes to the ways that we bought into the consumption assumption, the ways that we bought into the lie that if it's come to me, it's for me. And I pray that you begin to change the way that we think and that we begin to see ourselves as managers and stewards of the resources that you've entrusted us with. In Jesus' name, amen.